Hello and welcome to the 361 Podcast, Season 10, Episode 9. My name's Ben Smith from Wireless Worker. I'm Ray from the All About Sites. And I'm Ewan from Mobile Industry Review. This week we're talking all about mobile payments, but not just Apple Pay. Despite the hype, there's a lot more to this vibrant sector than first meets the eye. And to help us understand, we've got an expert guest this week. And if you listen to the end, you can find out how to win the smartphone that you think is the best on the market with support from TigerMobiles.com, as Jim did. Hi, this is Jim Breedar. And I think the best song is the LG G4. Thank you. Welcome back, chaps. Good to see you. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, Ben. Oh, it's a very high energy this week. That's, I've got my arm brew and I am rocking right now. That's it. This disgusting orange muck that you've got in front of you. Well, I'm a shareholder. Oh, yeah. I have two shares. Two shares. Yeah, a friend of mine bought me a share a while ago, which I thought was a very good present. I've got a certificate, but then they did a share split, which is just wicked. So I get 56 pence a year. 56 pence yeah, a year. Yeah, and also keep holding the brand up. So after probably five years of dividends, you can probably afford to go out to the shop and buy that bottle of Iron Brew you've basically, got in front of you. Basically. Nice. Yeah, fantastic. Because you've got taxed on that. For well. those who aren't in the UK and wouldn't know, just explain also to our soda. Right, it's a soda. It's a, an orange-looking soda that people describe as rust-flavoured. It's just kind of sweet and sickly if you're that way inclined, but I think it's gorgeous. It's very popular in Scotland. Very, and it's made from girders. It's not, though, is it? No. No, it's just bright orange. Mm. Right, Lanford, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, ne- nearly caught you out there not paying attention. You did, you did. Uh, your, um, your Microsoft device is not working, by the way? Well, that's because I was about to start the timer on it, but then I got sort of lulled into this Iron Brew land. Okay, yeah, fine. It's the last time I buy you Iron Brew when I no, go thank out you. for I'm pre-show right. munchies. Thank okay, you. right, Ralph Blanford, you press the magic button. We're just going to do one thing of the week yes. this week, I've yes. decided, uh, unilaterally. And what's and this you've got in here? Well, I've got a present from our Ooh. friend Dan Lane at Simwood, Ooh. who, um, uh, for those of you who ah. listen to the podcast, he was on talking to us a few episodes ago. He did say there was going to be some gizmos. So there you now, go. Now, what is it? Oh, look at there this. Are, so I'm holding up a box right. of six SIM cards that are printed up with the 361 <laughs> logo. And uh, what Dan has done is he's created us three mobile virtual operators. He's probably going to cry because I've got that wrong. But effectively, what Simwood do now is they enable you to make your own mobile network if you need it for a business. And he's done it as a demonstrator for us. So you pop this SIM card in your phone and Rafe's phone will say all about Windows Phone and yours will say Mobile Industry Review as, the, op- as the operator. And these SIM cards are all branded up. We'll tweet some pictures of these around the time, but they're absolutely fantastic. And what we're going to do is we're going to give those a try out and we're going to come back probably in season 11 and, uh, and have a t- so chat basically, we're going to have our own operators each exactly and oh. the, the obviously having branded sim cards and everything is really cool and having mm-hmm. it say the network but what's even cooler is that it's not just a sim card you can actually go into like a web interface and say i want my calls to go here and i want this number to be on this phone so you really do like have a whole web based so you could uh, theoretically module. divert everything to blanford you know after eight o'clock or something like that. well I, I do anyway don't yeah, you right. <laughs> yeah. it's a good idea blanford's gentleman servant i'll take his calls for him after eight o'clock <laughs> <laughs> anyway, cool. anyways, so Rafe Bamford, there's some over here for you as well. I think I think they say all about Windows Phone, which will be oh, a nice a, AWP, a, a nice short. a nice memento when Windows Phone goes crashing into the sea next year. <laughs> so Rafe Bamford, <laughs> tell us what we're talking about this week. So this week we're going to talk about mobile payments. Obviously, this is in the light of the recent Apple Pay launch in the UK and earlier in the year the US. But it's a, a topic that's a big one. There's been lots of activity around it in the last 12 months, but it's also been around for a while. And it's not something we really discussed in detail 
on the 361 podcast, so we thought it was high time we got onto it as a topic. It is, and recognising that we know virtually nothing about mobile payments, we thought it was time we brought in an expert. Mm -hmm. And so it's a real pleasure to welcome Tim Green to the podcast. Welcome, Tim. Thank you very much for having me. No, it's a pleasure to have you here. Tim, first of all, give us your bio. Your, Who are you? Your, your where you cred. come from? Yeah. Well, um, Ewan's asking where I come from, but <laughs> my association with Ewan goes back years because I used to edit a publication called Mobile Entertainment, which is a print-based publication looking really? at the mobile content business. Proper, uh, proper yeah. journalist. I think I saw, saw one of those in yeah, the museum once. Yeah. Yeah. That was a UK-based publication. We used to write about the mobile content business, ringtones and wallpapers in the beginning, and then it oh, wow. moved on to Java games and apps and so on. A couple of years ago, we closed that publication. Its time had come and gone. And so since then, I've been freelancing and I kind of decided that I would look at mobile payments because it was an embryonic market, which there was loads of M&A activity in, lots of innovation, but kind of still very unformed. And for a journalist, that's always quite an interesting space to look at. Yeah, and you're here to keep us honest this evening because you've been watching the market for a while. You know stuff and you can help us understand this. Or I'm going to be exposed for the fake that I sometimes fear I am. It's fine. Late we, at night. We have, we have editors for that. For, it's all for, right. For all our international audience, Tim is being typically British and understated, but actually he's uh, well known in the media world. And I can say it's having been a part of it uh, for a number of years before I came to Digital SLBI. It's actually well known as one of the leading experts in this space. The leading so, light. Uh, no pressure, Tim. Don't mess right. up. You, you read <laughs> what I wrote for you beautifully there. Right? Uh, uh, unfortunately, whilst he read it beautifully, we do have some bad news about the fee, though, this evening. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, let's kick off, because we are going to talk about Apple Pay in a minute, but actually there's far more happening in mobile payments than just Apple Pay. And look, Tim, your moment to shine now. What I really like is just for you to explain to me and the listeners What's happening now in terms of mobile payments and why is it now such a topic that the mainstream media and technologies in general are interested in? Because it has actually been a thing for quite a long time. Yeah, it has. Well, obviously, as you said in your intro, Apple Pay is what's kicked off the public debate and um, you know everything Apple does becomes public property. So that's kind of why it's such a big deal now. But the interesting thing about mobile payments is that there's a whole raft of different areas that get lumped into that under that name. And so... I sometimes give a presentation and I like to talk about the five or six strands of mobile payments. You've got online mobile payments, you know, buying stuff from your mobile phone, which we all do all the time on, you know, in bed, on the toilet, in the bath, wherever. That's me, that's me. Which one of those is you? Oh, oh, oh. fair enough. That's an insight. I do quite a lot of my transactions mid. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> <Go> okay, that's... <laughs> you're downloading while you're... <laughs> Downloading. That escalator. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, there's that, uh, which obviously is a very mature market already, which has issues, you know, to solve. And then there's in-store mobile payments, which is, you know, scarcely happening at all, yep. despite the best efforts of mobile operators and various other agencies over the years, and which obviously Apple is trying to address now. Uh, but then you've got areas like P2P payments, which Facebook and the banks are all getting into. And, and for, the, for the uninitiated, P2P is it, me paying you, yes, like exactly. two individuals transferring money. Exactly. Exactly, okay. yeah. so moving money between friends and acquaintances. Yeah. And then there's charge to bill. So that's using the phone bill as a way of settling debts and paying for commerce, which obviously there's issues around doing that physical goods. You can only do it for virtual goods at the moment. Then there's MPOS, which is kind of really not making mobile payments it's receiving mobile payments that's mobile point of sale that's iZettle and Square and those kinds of companies so that's the kind of thing that I will have seen perhaps some of those independent coffee shops have exactly. like an iPad behind the counter or yes. there was a pop-up restaurant I went to a few months back and they were using an iPad with a swipe device on the side so there'll be that kind of thing small business yes, exactly yeah. okay and then finally there's kind of mobile banking which isn't really payments but 
you know, if you've got a banking app, you have the capability to make payments. If only we had somebody who knew about mobile banking, Hugh McLeod. I couldn't possibly comment. I love this because Mr McLeod is currently engaged in working for a bank. He clams up something proper when we talk about this kind of topic. <laughs> it's just right because other people from said organisations listen. No, well, and when I'm not contracted through there, I can say exactly what I wish. However, you know, it's, it's a public organisation. So they've, and, they've you know. bought your silence is what you're saying. <laughs> and I, I can talk about the marketplace. Okay. Now, I just enjoy the brief moments of silence, to be honest. <laughs> it's quite a pleasure. So, Tim, yeah. we talked about the different types mm. of payments and things, but let's talk about actually some retailers and some use cases where those things are actually happening, because it's interesting to think about it in the abstract, but actually what surprised me, for example, was reading about Shell, the petrol station in the yeah. UK, having their own mobile app, yeah. and I think if I remember correctly, that's tied up with PayPal. And, you know, I mean, you start off thinking, oh, that's interesting, but why would a retailer like Shell want an app and want to do mobile payments because it seems to me like you're standing at the petrol pump or the gas pump with signs all around saying do not use your mobile phone exactly that does <laughs> that did surprise me yeah don't use your phone and i've gone to the petrol station i needed to to receive the goods the retailer wants me certainly in the uk because of taxation and although i think it's it's global wants me to go into the shop to buy groceries because that's where they make money anyway sometimes to me it feels like mobile payments are happening more for the kind of look at me factor than actually because they're really about some you know kind of important part of the transaction yeah i mean i think these early attempts to make apps for physical face-to-face transactions are a kind of messy attempt to ahead of something which is actually coming down the stream so i think the reason why people are so interested in apple pay is because what it does for your online payments when you're buying in-app because you just press your thumbprint down, you make the payment immediately. There's no filling in of long forms and uh, address details and that kind of thing. It's all held on the device. And of course, it's safe because of tokenization, which I'm sure we'll come back to later. We will come back to that. Rafe Blanford, you're gesticulating at me. So I think just to make this point clear, it's actually not that there's something wrong with the apps themselves or this idea of mobile payments. It's more the implementations that currently stands. And we've actually seen loads and loads of these kind of pay for your stuff with your mobile for restaurants and things like that. And typically they're coming from multiple different providers, which just promotes confusion. And potentially what Apple Pay and indeed Android Pay could do could become that standard payment layer. And there will still be a whole universe of apps that might uh, you know, support this. And it's kind of this idea of a app utopia for mobile payments because it fixes the big stumbling block at the moment. So Tim, just a, a question then from me in terms of clarification. When you were explaining all the different types of mobile payments mm-hmm. to us, you said paying through an app like Apple Pay, for example, which then charges it to your credit card or whatever cards you've associated with Apple Pay. How is that different to paying through your mobile operator on adding it onto your bill? I mean, I realise that the place that the charge goes is different, but it's still the same thing for the end user, isn't it? And paying through the mobile operator's bill never really felt like it took off, certainly in the UK. Well, there are all sorts of legal reasons why you can't charge things to your mobile bill. So as things stand at the moment, and I've spent many more hours than I should like to have done looking at reading articles about the payment service directive 1 and 2, you can't charge physical items to your phone bill for regulatory reasons to do with the EU. So at the moment, you can only do virtual payments, which is like adding lives to your mobile game and so on. There are other things you can do, like you could possibly pay for Wi-Fi access on a train from your phone bill. Some people are looking at parking, although there's dispute whether you can actually, whether that's a physical good or not. But these are the kind of grey areas where you could possibly charge to bill. But when it comes to just going into a store, 
or um, buying physical products, you can't do it. So if you go into the iTunes store now and look at Apple Pay, a good number of the apps that are on the store now enable you to buy physical stuff. Like there's an online florist that you can charge, you know, to right. your Apple Pay to get flowers delivered by post. It's Bloom and Wild that mm-hmm. you used last year. Big you fan. And big fan, big fan. Mr. and Mrs. Smith website, which is a, an upmarket travel agent as well. So it's actually at least 50% physical goods, albeit from a catalogue of, yeah. of only tens at the moment. So where is succeeding them with mobile payments? Where do they best fit and where are they working for people? Well, self-evidently, mobile payments, if you're talking about online purchases or in-app purchases, are already, according to many different measures, up to 50% of all e-commerce. So, you know, we've all sat down and bought products while we're on our phones, as opposed to buying them from a PC. Now, the challenge that the industry have is how do they make that payment process smoother and more seamless and yet keep it safe? And so this is the problem that people are trying to tackle. And it's obviously what Apple have tackled with a thumbprint by burying all of the secure payment data inside the phone and then using a thumbprint to access that data. Then you reduce the payment process to a thumbprint and all of the payment abandonment, which merchants hate because, you know, up to 50% of all payment transactions don't complete because of all those headaches in the process. They're solved by Apple Pay. That's why that it's become such an important product. And it's just people walking away from a transaction because it's too much hassle to type in their credit card and and address. I mean, if you look at mobile commerce, the conversion rates are anything from a third to a half of what they are on desktop now. Some of that's about the other constraints on mobile, screen size or the user experience. But my opinion is a big part of that is actually just because it's a painful experience and people having talk about having to put their credit card in multiple times. It's very noticeable that where it does convert best, it's those apps where it stores the card or has come up with mm-hmm. some way of making it smoother. So I do think there's a, a twin issue here. There's kind of that experience, one, if you will, but also the regulatory issue we're talking about, particularly with pay on bill, because you do look outside of the Western markets, somewhere like uh, Kenya or Tanzania for M-Pesa, where it's not pay on bill, but it's a similar principle in one sense. And they have used that successfully for both virtual and physical goods. But they've done that by making it as seamless as possible. But obviously, it's been remarked many times that they're coming from a completely different ecosystem. They don't have bank accounts and cards. So therefore, they needed to create something from scratch. And that's a really important point that it's not the same in every market. And even within Europe, you can look at the difference between German use of credit cards, for example, which does have an impact presumably on the mobile payments landscape. So who's doing this well then? I mean, we've talked about Apple Pay and the elegance of using a thumbprint to authenticate a transaction. Who else is doing mobile payments well and who's showing promise in your view? Because you see a lot of the market kind of in the early stages. Well, I mean, it's... It depends what kind of answer you're looking for. Because, I'm, looking, I mean, I'm looking for the tin seal of <laughs> approval. These guys well, will definitely succeed. I mean, you've got Stripe and Braintree, obviously. And what these two companies do is they have an API so that developers can just drop a line of code into their product and they can instantly have payment processing there. They don't have to go and talk to WorldPay or, or Visa or any of those guys. They just know that it's going to work. So what they've done is they've simplified for developers the enablement of payment on their apps. But what they've also done is they've introduced things like Braintree have got something called Venmo Touch. Venmo Touch is a way of a small merchant agreeing that the payment details that uh, Braintree has in the background, if they've been used on another site that used Braintree, they can also use it on their site. So when I'm going to some site for the first time and I want to pay, it will say, we've already got your details, can we use them? 
because some other merchant that also uses Braintree has already used that system. So is this crudely like me preferring to pay with PayPal for a desktop transaction because PayPal already has all my credit card and bank details stored and it kind of reduces the number of steps to make the payment? Yeah, exactly. It does reduce the, the amount of steps. I mean, obviously, it's a little different from PayPal because PayPal is a kind of third-party company which is getting in the middle of that transaction. Uh, so, so in this case, the Venmo Pay isn't actually doing the transaction. It's just handing off the details. Yes, exactly, yeah. So, I mean, those two companies are very interesting because they're doing a lot for the sort of long-tail merchants. You could argue that other companies that have made Uber and Airbnb and Lyft and all these kinds of companies fly so much because they've made payments so easy, uh, both for them to deliver and also for the consumers to transact. I'm wondering, I mean, that's talking about kind of the structural yeah, or the exactly, system yeah. level. I mean, do you think there's also examples where people are doing things well at the top and at the consumer experience level? I and mean, one that's caught my attention, for example, is Flypay, which yeah. just seems they've done a better job than a lot of them in getting both that kind of payment as in how you do it when you're out, but also the loyalty angle. Yeah. The interesting thing about Flypay and Cover and Tabbed Out and all of those restaurant apps is that they... As we were alluding to earlier, they provide a great experience, but they do ask you to download lots of different apps for lots of different restaurants. Yep. And I don't think in the long term it's a solution that can really be sustained because, you know, who's going to do that? Who's going to just have just go to this restaurant and think, oh, this is a tabbed out restaurant. Oh, no, it's actually a dash one. It's a cover one. It's a fly pay one. And that's why Starbucks has done such a great job because people go to Starbucks all the time. They go there regularly. They return. They want the same thing. And so they download the app which is a proprietary app, which Starbucks developed itself and built all the loyalty layers and everything like that into it. And it works really well, but it can't work for everybody. I use that quite a lot. But I do like better coffee, but I just have to accept that they are everywhere. Starbucks have turned me into a subscriber, haven't they? Because they've got my credit card details in the background. I have the auto top-up turned on. I use their app to pay from a credit balance that I maintain on a kind of loyalty card. And now, because I have the balance, I choose to go to Starbucks and I spend off that. And because I've exhausted the balance, it auto tops up. And now, effectively, I subscribe to Starbucks coffee, all because initially it was more convenient than making sure I had three quid in my pocket. I've got a question for Tim here. I'm a regular user of Is it about both. Iron Brew or? Um, well, I'm a massive fan of Iron Brew. Let me tell you more about Iron Brew. Do you know it was established in 90... 19- no, sorry. My question is about the Pizza Express and Wagamama. And for those who are not in the UK, that is a pizza restaurant, unsurprisingly, and a sort of Asian uh, Wagamama food. is Asian fusion, noodle, isn't it? Noodle shop. Yeah, yes. very, very nice. Wagamama uses something called QKR, or Quicker, from MasterCard, mm. that lets you see your bill and pay really, really quickly. Without, you don't actually have to request a bill. You can do it on your mobile. Love that. And Pizza Express is somewhere where I often take the children when my wife needs a break. And when I need to exit the restaurant, I want to exit the restaurant mm. you know, with, with two young children. And I love the Pizza Express payment thing. I just go, Bill, Bill, Bill. Bill arrives, type in the number really quickly, bang, 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 PayPal done out. I don't have to wait for anyone just because at that point the children are going nuts. I'm really pleased that these restaurants have done this. They've taken the first step. And is that the right strategy for them? And because, you know, others, Zizi's, for example, here in the UK, not an Italian restaurant, they don't have anything. Yeah. They're obviously, I presume, waiting to see what happens. What's well, the right way ahead? It's absolutely the right way ahead because. Again, not an original observation by me, but the point about Apple Pay and those kinds of products is that they provide an alternative payment to the card. And actually, who hates paying by card? No one really hates paying by card. In fact, I'm frustrated by not being able to pay by card in those cases when when you're not. You know, yeah, it's my preferred. So what those restaurant apps do is they actually do solve a problem, which is you hate waiting to get your bill. Right. 
and attracting the you know the so I get utility attention. from it. Yeah, I get a lot of yeah. utility now from and it. And you not only get that, but also the restaurant get fifteen minutes times however many diners they have every night of extra time to serve more people. So I've never it, thought about that. It's about benefit for them as well. Oh, they got to stand with you and watch yeah. while yeah. the car goes bzzz, you know, I mean, if you, if you add up all those 15 minutes across the night, you know, there's a lot more meals you can serve. So everybody hates that dead Quicker time. Quicker turnover, of course, as well. Yeah. But of course, it comes back to what I said earlier, which is, you know, finding a way of everybody having these apps without consumers having to download dozens and dozens of apps, which they just don't do. Now, the interesting thing is that, I keep coming back to Apple Pay, but... It's a broader point. It could apply to Android Pay as well. That at the moment, if you look at the BBC and all the coverage on the major press, it's all about, oh, I've just gone into this contactless shop and I've tapped my phone and now I've paid. But it's kind of a sideshow, really, because it's not really a big deal for consumers or for merchants, because all you're doing is just paying with a card, but it just happens to be on your phone. Mm. So the more interesting question is, at what point do Apple and the merchants and consumers start to think, well, what's the point of tapping? Because I'm paying all these merchants through an app when I'm not there. Why don't I just pay them when I am there on my app? And then you start to get a change in the way people transact in store and a change in the way merchants view payments, mm-hmm. a change in the way that you don't suddenly you don't have to tap and queue. You can buy anywhere. You can buy at the front of the store, the back of the store, in the changing rooms. Is that how the Apple Store app works, which is you can when you fire up the Apple Store app in one of their stores, right. it changes the way it looks. It lets you it scan a, you lets you scan a barcode and lets you transact on your handset as well, I suppose a mobile point of sale application, yes. isn't it? And then you can just walk out with the product in your hand. Which, unfortunately, people, I mean, there was a case, wasn't there recently? I don't know if anyone read about it. A guy got away with tens of thousands of dollars of equipment, which he never paid for. He just walked out and no one ever stopped him. <laughs> Actually, so this is I'm one so of the big with guilt. I have to go and pay <laughs> someone else. I've got, I've got the bag and a receipt. Yeah. Look. Google it. He got away with tens and tens of thousands. It's a great opportunity to change the way people transact in store and the relationship they have with their merchant. But it also brings up a lot of challenges to do with inventory and security and staff training and all these kinds of things. But you reckon in-app payment is actually where it's at? As you say, the physical contactless payment is it's probably it's just easier to demo. Show. Yeah, yeah. Rafe? And I think it's interesting because this point about people downloading apps is, is critical because the average person will download 26 apps and some will be a lot less than that. This is so, why we keep him around, you see, Tim. He knows these stats and if he doesn't, he makes them he up with confidence. Up, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, he looks really confident. That, that one's not made up, but um, <laughs> fortunately, on this occasion. But actually, it does raise the question, is there more that's going to have to raise to the kind of payments at the platform level in order to kind of facilitate some of these things that we're talking about for this kind of physical tap to go away. And that, you know, will give Apple more power. And this is why there's a lot of speculation over what they're going to do with loyalty or the sort of mm. the add-on pieces and how much control retailers will be willing to give up. And it feels like we may end up with a situation there'll almost be a couple of classes of your customers, some of which are your most loyal ones, maybe will install the app because there's value for them to do so. Then there'll be ones who have it on the phone. And so, you know, yeah. you might get something in Passbook or some future generic Apple Pay app. And then there's the ones that will be the traditional payment methods, which frankly, apart from their card details, you won't know very much about and won't be able to reach very easily. Yeah, I mean, you hear rumors of things like an iStore app where I mean, most people coming from a UK perspective, they go to Sainsbury's, they go to Esso. 90% of their money every week goes on four or five retailers. Mm. So they have those apps and all the rest they can find in the iStore app. 
you know, which is an app that any merchant can yeah. put their product, their app into and, um, and know that it's all behind Apple Pay. And presumably, if Amazon went that way, they already have the store infrastructure because they already sell other people's goods. So Amazon have to fill in the payment piece, but there is Amazon payments as well. So mm. you can already see some retailers solving other parts of this problem, can't you, in terms of being a, a, a transaction mechanism. I'm kind of intrigued in terms of who do you think actually is making the right decisions here? Who do you think is really going to take the benefit out of this innovation? Because at the moment, going back to what we said earlier, so much of this feels potentially like vanity publishing. You know, I take the Shell application, for example. I, I don't understand any part of the transaction that's being improved other than potentially Shell get a press release and they get some coverage well, wait, in, wait, 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 in the wait. tech press. If you're a parent, you know, I don't want to get out of the car because I need to take the children with me. Or I need to leave them in the car and risk my wife going spare if she knew. Because in that instance, I don't think it's mobile payments and stuff. I just think it's the way it's been implemented. And if it was done off, you know, beacons and maybe recognising your car and just was all completely seamless. Yeah, I think that's the useful thing to have because it is taking away the pain point. So, Tim, looking down the line, though, what do you see in terms of startups or, you know, kind of news that's coming out of Silicon Valley and places like that, that where you think actually are really going to move the needle on mobile payments? I'm looking for some future gazing here. Yeah, I mean, is it that small company called Apple? Well, it's tricky because, you know, when you talk about payments, you're actually talking about transacting at the point of a checkout. Then there aren't too many companies that can compete with Android Pay, Apple Pay. Now, obviously, Visa and MasterCard, lazy people would say, oh, they're being disintermediated by Apple and Android, which is clearly not the case because the systems they put in place enabled those two products to exist. So they're very happy because it's all running on their rails. Obviously, the banks are going to get pushed into the background a little bit, brand-wise and customer experience-wise, by these new products. But I think where the interesting startups come is in sort of product discovery and that kind of thing, rather than payments. So you're getting some of these products. I think there's one called ASAP 51 or something. I can't remember. ASAP something. They're in the UK and various others who are doing like a Shazam for shopping, so whereby you can scan an image. I want then, this. Yes, but exactly. Buy me this right now. Yeah. yeah. So you can scan a real uh, an image. It takes you to a checkout page. That's a real Ewan McLeod product, isn't mm-hmm. it? I'm, I'm so patient. I'm I thinking of product. reaching for my phone at the moment. Isn't that a feature of the Amazon Fire Phone? Yeah, they do do that kind of recognition. Ex- except it also comes with the overwhelming shame of owning a Fire Phone <laughs> yeah. and using it in public. <laughs> I, I think the point here is actually, you know, we've been talking a lot about the pipes or the distribution network, but you still have lots of different fancy taps when you go to a showroom. And it's actually the experience of how do you get that final... Thing presented to you whether it does feel like there's room for a whole bunch of innovation i mean i just go back to something tim said about kind of banks sort of disappearing into the background and i mean i absolutely agree visa mastercard are happy as they are and potentially they could do something but do they really need to probably not there is a trust issue here with uh, consumers i mean if you look at the nielsen study from last year it said 60 percent of people have no interest in using mobile payments and i think that's partly kind of a luddite statement and people don't adopt things until they actually see the benefit of it but there's definitely an issue that banks are trusted by 60 percent of people to do this kind of mobile payments and actually apple is relatively low i think the figure is about 10 percent for non-iphone owners 20 percent for iphone owners. it's quite notable that there's still a trust gap for the mass market adoption to happen. Yeah, although that kind of presupposes that people think that Apple is an alternative to a bank, you know, and actually it's just a gateway to your cards. And I think one of the interesting areas worth looking at in the future, which I don't think any of us can second guess, is 
it's a sort of philosophical question, really, but if Apple and Android are dematerializing cards and they're turning them into software, the way they turn music into software and movies into software and, you know, CD-ROMs into software throughout. Sorry, Tim, what? <laughs> CD-ROMs. You put coffee on them. It's yes. <laughs> your table from um, burning. But, um, you know, how does that change your relationship with your bank? And these are questions that really are only going to be resolved in five or ten years. I remember reading this observation. It's not mine. I wish it was. But when Apple took on the music business, they didn't try and um, go into A&R and tours and things like that. What they did was they just changed retailing and one of the things that happened was people stopped buying albums. They started buying single tracks. And so it's kind of like an unforeseen consequence of them turning music into software. You can imagine a situation in payments where you have 10 cards listed in your Apple Pay app. And rather than choosing the one you want to pay for, they compete in real time for your purchase in some way. And Apple sort of is the interface between that. And Apple has the consumer eyeballs. And these banks just become kind of like pipes competing and hoping that you'll choose them because the enabling infrastructure visa still happy because they're still yeah. you know they're on all the cards already and as you say the banks are the record labels in that instance you mcleod what do you think about that well i have a lot of different opinions generically i think um you're <laughs> you're absolutely right i'm really looking forward to that i think it's a massive massive problem and when you speak to a lot of people in the marketplace in banking the biggest worry they have is they're so used to controlling the user experience i.e by giving you that card they're now rendered as a you know, little image on a phone that you have to specifically choose which card you want to use and it's usually the default one so that's worrying a lot of people i do have a question for tim though given we've got the man himself here what mobile payment services do you use day in day out have you got any contactless cards because we I think we'll be horrified this if is this is where tim says god no they're too insecure i wouldn't <laughs> touch them with the barge pole <laughs> and what yeah what do you use i don't have an iphone at the moment i have <gasps> did it have an accident or <laughs> no when i used to work at mobile entertainment everyone had iphones and i said right i'm gonna have every other kind of phone so I went through them all. I had a Symbian phone, right? Excellent. I also had a, I had a Windows phone, a BlackBerry. Man, I had the whole, the whole gamut. Man, a great taste here. Uh, my last phone was an iPhone, but at the moment I have a Nexus 5. So I don't have an iPhone, so I can't use Apple Payments at the moment. Do you wake up crying in the night sometimes, you know, sad? Howling at the moon. Howling, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Distressed yeah. at the life choices. Um, so I've used Apple Pay in a kind of demo scenario, and I've even made a pretend payment with an Apple Watch. So I've seen it work, but I don't own any of those pieces of kit. And I've tried things like Droplet, which is an interesting uh, Birmingham-based company, which does app-to-app payments in store. And other than that, you know, I'm trying sort of new ideas. I can honestly say that on a regular basis, I use PayPal and just the stuff that anyone else would really. I haven't got anything sort of particularly proprietary or interesting. That Have you got your contactless cars covered in tinfoil? I do have contactless cards and I do occasionally use them and I do enjoy standing at queues saying to people, you do realize you can just tap that card <laughs> I do that. rather exactly. than pushing it <laughs> into the... Do you have one of those special wallets that sort of screens the cards like a sort of Faraday cage wallet that keeps them safe? <laughs> <laughs> Tim's laughing like I've made that product up, but I genuinely met someone who bought one of those products the other day because they were anxious about accidentally paying for stuff. Oh. Although I don't know who it is who wipes their back pocket over card readers accidentally very often so mm. tim final question mm. for me then i think then i think we need to wrap up because time is getting away from us 
why in all of this mobile payments piece are we still only talking about the payments piece? Because for me, one of the bits I like best is the fact that I get a notification from American Express when I've done an Apple payment. Really good, just confirmation yeah, the transaction, real time as well. the amount and real time. And we talked about this on the podcast before. And I'm thinking the place that you could add tons of value for me you know, and obviously my use case is the only one that matters, is not at the point of the transaction, but immediately afterwards in helping me memorize that transaction, associate it with the product I just bought, perhaps even managing my money, warning me if I'm going to go overdrawn or if my credit card's up to its limit. Mm. And it seems like the mobile piece puts a screen in my hand that could tell me all of that information, but we, we don't. And what's the blocker there? Is it regulation or lack of consumer interest? You know, am I a weird one? I don't know. I mean, it's obviously a subject that all of the companies who are jostling to position in this place are well aware of because you read any article about this. And as I said earlier, the payments piece is just a small part, which is not really problematic at the moment. And what you want is you want a proper trail of payment receipts. You want real-time information about how much money you've got in different accounts so you can select which payment source you want to pay from. You want sort of real-time offers pushed to you. Well, not pushed to you, but probably pulled um, to you. Probably a better way of putting it. And I don't know, no one's really cracked it yet. I mean, a lot of it is to do with merchant integration, isn't it? I mean, it's quite a big deal for any merchant to turn their systems around to train their staff in order for you to be able to have those kinds of functions at your fingertips because it involves a lot of changes in the retail environment. There was a great article actually by a chap called Benjamin Robbins, who works for a company called Palador over in the States. And I've known Ben for a while now. He's great to listen to uh, conferences and things like that. He's a great speaker. And he's written an article in The Guardian that said it would be terrible if Apple began to tie up all this financial data with their advertising product, for example. And there was a lot of discussion around that. And obviously, for me, that's blindingly obvious. Yes, it would be terrible. It'd be a horrible abuse of the trust that you've put inside those providers. But it does point out the richness of the information that's there. And, and I wouldn't want to give it to an advertiser. But I keep thinking, oh, you know, I'd love it to benefit me in well, some way. Android Pay will probably give it to an advertiser for you. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. You, you heard it here yes. first. Tim says, don't trust Android Pay as far as you can throw it. <laughs> well, you know, it's, that's, that's what they're saying. Is that, I mean, that's obviously why Google's going to do it. I quite like asking the question, why is Apple doing this? What is their reason for doing it? And I just keep coming back to the fact that they want to sell more iPhones. I can't see any other reason. They don't want to be a bank. The money that they'll make from their tiny transactional fee won't touch the sides of, you know, of their quarterly earnings. So it just seems to me that they want to keep the iPhone as front and central of your life so that they can keep selling them to you. Whereas Google has a different agenda. Yeah, because, and frankly, if every experience I have with a retailer was as polished as the ones I tend to have with Apple, I'd be a very happy person indeed. And as a consumer, I kind of, it does feel appealing. Although I suppose if I didn't own an iPhone, having to pay £600 to join that exclusive club might alienate me a bit. Yeah, and I think that is an important point. I mean, Apple Pay, and the same will apply to Android Pay, is going to be for a select number of people for still quite some time to come just because not everyone will own a device that's capable of it or the bank won't be compatible or something else like that. But I do just want to come back to the point you were making about it sort of payments express the software. I think the thing that's different perhaps this time around is so much of the back-end infrastructure is actually reliant on systems that can be very old. When you talk about retailers and shops, often their systems will be 20, 25 years old, the same for banks, which is one of the reasons it's taken so long to get there. And kind of it's actually Visa and MasterCard really pushing on the tokenization mm-hmm. side that's enabled a lot of this to happen. So I think the sort of interruption that we're kind of talking about in terms of this actually really quite nice future where everything works smoothly and you get a lot more information, the vast majority of payments are still going to be on the traditional means for some time to come. 
and there is so much else that has to happen that it's not going to be an overnight process. So it's not going to be the way music was interrupted in the space of three or four years. We're probably talking at a decade time scale in terms of kind of mass market adoption. Do you think that's fair, Tim? I think it will take a long time, but we are definitely seeing the beginnings of it now, yeah. which is why it's quite exciting to, you know, theorize That's why about we're talking it about it. Yeah. Okay, Ewan McLeod, mobile payments. Where and when do you want to use them in the life of Ewan McLeod? Um, probably continually, actually. Excellent. That's a nice vague answer. Thank well, you. Well, no, no, but genuinely, right? And I try and put myself out there anyway and use the stuff as much as possible. So I love it in restaurants, love it in cabs, on the train. It is the central device in my life, the mobile phone. And the more services that are enabled by it, the better, I think. Rafe Blanford, as a Windows Phone user, do you sometimes get jealous of those of us living with first world ecosystems? Not particularly, because actually... For me, mobile payments makes most sense when you're did doing... Did you know that you can pay for things on your phone? I did, and I, you know, I do have well, an iPhone, iPhone so A-phone, you know, yeah. I, I do get the opportunity to live that. But where it adds most convenience for me is actually still the kind of the M-commerce and the stuff that ordering e-commerce on your phone. If I go back a couple of years, everything I ordered from Amazon was probably done through the desktop site. Purposefully. Yeah, because it was kind of that reassurance and trust, and it was like, I'll do an Amazon order this evening. Now I've got a Prime subscription. I used Prime Now for the first time the other day, had a delivery happen within an hour. Works really well. But pretty much all of my Amazon transactions happen through that just because it's a more seamless experience. So I can't wait for it to become available. But I will say there is a little bit of London and tech goggles going on because I go out to you know Sussex or I go to West Wales and they haven't heard of contactless payment let alone mobile payments and so you know actually I want to be able to use whatever is most suitable for the situation root vegetables or goats oh, or you know barter with jars of honey is something that's still a big thing in, it got you through my front places. door didn't it it exactly. did I have to say for me I really like the loyalty aspect of this and Apple have talked about it a bit in terms of passbook but I've accidentally become a Starbucks drinker more frequently because the loyalty card is tied up with the payment, is tied up with a convenient transaction when I don't have money in my pocket. And similarly, there's a lot of times where it actually might not be worth taking the phone out of the pocket because my contactless payment card could work perfectly usably. But I do get an overall richer experience because I get points when I use the app and I also get a transaction record. I use Halo and Uber, for example, not because I have a dislike for paying uh, cabbies in cash. It's because I get a nice invoice emailed to me that I can use in my expenses. You don't have the awkward conversation when you're leaving the cab because you just already paid before you got in. Yeah, yeah. Do I have to say, you stop at a cash point? Another guy goes, oh, go. There's a, an insight into you and McLeod's life. <laughs> but get, get, it's interesting, you're getting back to you talking about Starbucks. One of the interesting things about the Starbucks experiment is that they now have a huge amount of money swishing around from all of the credit that people have yeah. in their wallets that they haven't spent yet. And they're making a lot of interest off that. It's quite smart, isn't it? How much have you got in there? I've lent Starbucks 25 quid most of the time, I think. Yeah. I think they mentioned that in their earnings report. <laughs> it's about time I got the recognition <laughs> yeah. I deserved. Okay, Tim, look, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for okay. sharing your expertise. If people have got questions about mobile payments or if they want to reach out to you or read any more of what you write, where can they find you? Well, if they go to mobilemoneyrevolution.co.uk, that's my little blog where I just sort of update what's happening in the market and find my email address there. Well, or they go at TimGreen64 on Twitter. That's brilliant. And Tim, thanks so much for coming in and uh, putting up with our nonsense this week. As ever, gents, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Lovely to see you. Thank you, Tim. We should just remind everybody, of course, that uh, this is the last episode to go before we announce the winners of our competition. That's true. All you need to do is sign up for our newsletter and tell us what you think the best smartphone on the market is. And if you do both of those things, you could win it. They've had loads of entries, which have been really good, but it's still an alarmingly good chance to win the smartphone of your choice. Very good chance. So get 
get it in we will be announcing that next week so last chance now and we have to say thank you to the guys from tigermobiles.com for giving us that prize mm-hmm. As ever, um, editorial assistance this week by Emma Krauss, research support this season by Roland Banks. This episode and all of season 10 is edited by Mark Cotnell, audiowrangler.co.uk. Our recording venue provided by Digitas LBI. Thank you to all of those people and uh, thank you to you chaps. Mm, lots of love. And uh, we will be back next week. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can comment, subscribe and catch up with previous episodes at 361podcast.com. If you're an iTunes user, we'd be jolly grateful for a five-star review. There's a link and pictures of how to rate the show at 361podcast.com slash rate. Each review makes it lots easier for new listeners to find us. 